0: i ask anybody's question but yours.
1: Is he in? He is! Donji with another touchdown run.
0: you're an idiot.
1: It's not how
0: tall, it's how long, and Warwick got a piece of that. And really a disloyal person. And a few other things I could add, but I'm not going to.
1: Ennis, two seconds. He'll get a shot off!
0: Time for the Thursday edition of Locked On Syracuse. Tim Leonard and Tyler Rocky, your stop for daily Syracuse talk, the only podcast out there. We've got you every single day. And today, Tyler, I thought we might have not much to talk about maybe in the grand scheme of things. We will preview Miami tomorrow ahead of that on Saturday. But now that game got a little bit more interesting because Syracuse currently controls their own destiny for that five seed after Notre Dame and Clemson lost last night, which is big for a couple reasons. How about that collapse One of them being that in we... South Bend last night? Yeah, that was <laughs> unbelievable. That stuff. was tough. Shades of uh, Florida State coming back on Syracuse, right? A exactly. Bit, but on the road this mm-hmm. time,
1: and then so, on top of that, tough loss for Notre Dame. I mean, Dame Clemson just got steamrolled too.
0: Yeah, Clemson did. I thought they were going to put up a fight against Virginia Tech on the road, but. Now, Syracuse could get it even with the loss to Miami and Notre Dame and Clemson both losing. But keep in mind, Notre Dame and Clemson have the tiebreaker over Syracuse. However, they are the team with the nine losses now. And going into Miami, they control their own destiny, which is great because we might avoid the 930, the sixth seed, which is 930 p.m. on Wednesday and Thursday, which would be tough for weeknight games.
1: Yeah, and, and no one likes that, No, especially on the East Coast, too. It's, I mean, it's it's tough to stay up for those games. And even you see it to a degree now with, with the ACC television deal where you get some of those 9 o'clock starts for home games and stuff like that. The The crowd isn't into I mean, just from watching that Notre Dame game last night, they kind of made a whole joke out of it where the Notre Dame student section, they, they did like a pajama night. And everyone came with like milk and cookies and, and dressed up in their pajamas. Like no one likes the nine o'clock game. And Syracuse shouldn't be going for that. As opposed to uh, if you're the five seed, then then you get a a, a little bit better of a draw. You get a, a two o'clock game, and then you play the winner of of the twelve thirteen game. And, and that's what Syracuse. You've got the inside track. Miami did put up a fight with Virginia last night as well. So that's something yeah. to monitor too. But that This is a team that can definitely beat Miami. Miami's one of the worst teams in the ACC, but they're one of those teams that has a lot of youth on it and maybe can get better as we move into it, as, as we're winding down here in the season. But we'll get to more Miami stuff tomorrow. And, I mean, the five seed would be big for this team because you get the five, and then right now, the four, it looks like, is Virginia and... yep. And that's a team that you've beaten already this year. So that that's how you make a little bit of a run. And then the one seed in this entire mess right now is Florida State. And that's a team that you've hung with. So the, there's a feasible path. I mean, I'm not saying it's easy, but there's a feasible path then to potentially get to the championship game. Still likely not going to happen. But based on what we've seen, you don't want to see Louisville. Because that that's the team that absolutely, that's the only team that you can say absolutely destroyed you in the conference this year. I guess UNC too.
0: Yeah, but. they're, right. And that's the other thing. If you get the five, chances are you're not going to see UNC. Because they will have to beat Duke on the road on Saturday in well, wait, the I'm, final Duke-UNC game. I'm looking game. at it
1: right now, isn't UNC the 13 right now?
0: because no, they don't have any tiebreakers so well right, right now Pitt in order is, for them to get uh,
1: granted Pitt's played one more game but Pitt currently is that 14th spot because they are six and 14 whereas UNC is six and 13
0: okay so, but that's like but yeah. the thing with uh, Duke and Virginia technically Virginia is the four but I think Duke actually doesn't have the tiebreaker over Virginia so none of the tiebreakers likely likelihood- see makes sense either. It's a giant mess. (laughs) We've gone over that. But in all likelihood, Duke is going to be the four seed if things play out how they should and both teams just win out. And then if everyone wins out at the bottom, UNC remains the 14th seed. Now, UNC is probably not going to win at Duke, though. I know they gave him a fight at home. It's a different story in Cameron. If they don't win at Duke, they are the 14th seed, which means they would play the 6th seed which Syracuse is now in position to avoid if they beat Miami. So there's a lot of games here within the game, but basically the 5-seed gives you the better shot of avoiding Carolina. It also means you might be seeing Miami for the second straight game if Miami were to beat who is who they play in that first round, which right now is projected to be Pittsburgh. So if you beat Miami, you get to the 5-line. two thirty game, much more enjoyable for everyone. And then also... You probably avoid UNC and just have a better track towards making it. Right, a run. and we just
1: know the the matchup with Carolina is not something the Syracuse team wants to see. I mean, we we saw it play out in the dome and then you, you would see it in potentially a, a situation where it's pretty much a home game for UNC going to Greensboro. And even though this team is down, some of these guys and some of these fans might want to see Cole Anthony one last time and it's kind of right in their own backyard only about an hour away so that that unc crowd will still show up because they're they are still great fans much like that that entire triangle you don't want to see nc state you don't want to see duke you don't want to see carolina because those fans are going to show up and it's just i mean they they can that can change a game And, and you hear coaches and players talk about it all the time especially at these conference tournaments where there are teams with with advantages sometimes because of that home court factor
0: so notre dame hosts uh virginia tech in their final game clemson hosts georgia tech in their final game so those are two likely wins i mean again these are all hypotheticals but chances are you either win and get the five, or you lose and you're probably giving up that five seed because again, Clemson and Notre Dame have some tiebreakers over Syracuse, and we tweeted this out at Locked on Syracuse at L O underscore Syracuse. This is the this would be the highest finish for Syracuse if they went on Saturday, get that five seed since the first year they joined the conference when they had Tyler Ennis started 25 and 0 and finished second in the league because they slipped up a little bit towards the end. So. They've been on a run here of 10th, 9th, 8th. Last year, there were six in the conference, and this would be a 5th place finish, which is crazy to think because they basically have no shot at making the tournament, but it would be their highest finish since they made that run in 2014. Yeah, I mean,
1: it's insane to think that that this is a league where you're going to go over 500. I mean, looking at the teams right now, there's a chance that only 4 teams finish above 500 in the ACC. And some people may be saying, oh, it's because they added the two extra games. Well, I mean, just look at it, the disparity. I mean, there's a clear tier above where the five line is. Like The teams that are getting buys are rightfully deserving buys in this league. When you look at these teams that are racking up 14, 15 conference wins, maybe even 16 conference wins when it's all said and done, and then you get down to, to the Syracuses and the Georgia Techs and the Notre Dames and that clump that's hovering right around 500 in the conference, there's a clear gap between that top level and, and where Syracuse is, and you've seen it play out this entire season. I mean, the, the bottom of the conference is unbelievably weak, and the middle of the conference, they, they put up a fight, but th- that top level, I mean, you're seeing the gaps of riches. And Florida State, it, it'd be tough to see any team outside that top four winning this conference tournament. It, it just really is. Yeah. Such a weird year. Yeah. I don't even know I mean, how. The fact that you're looking at they, I mean, teams that are going to finish above 500. Like, a team like Syracuse, and obviously the story on Georgia Tech is different because of their ban that they've imposed, but for a team like Syracuse, they're going to, it looks like, I mean, at worst, finish 500 in the conference, and they're not going to sniff the tournament.
0: Yeah. And let's not forget, Syracuse was projected to finish eighth in the conference going into the year, so... In some ways, they exceeded expectations, but their non-conference was so bad. They don't have the signature win. So now this is where they stand going into Greensboro. So it'll be interesting to track what they do. That Miami game does have some significance because I think the five line is much more favorable than the six line for Syracuse. But I'll be down in Greensboro. We will be giving you guys content from there, as the games and the week progresses, there. But when we come back, let's talk some Elijah Hughes to the NBA. This has been a topic we've been meaning to get to on Lockdown Syracuse. Jim Beheim made some comments about some former NBA players and kind of the state of college basketball right now. So we'll dive into Elijah Hughes' chances of going pro. That's next on Lockdown Syracuse. Okay, time to talk about all-ACC first-teamer Elijah Hughes. Is he? And that is, is not even get a it? part of the discussion. He's definitely going to get, get so. it. You hope so. And if he doesn't get it, as Jim Bayheim says, then you just aren't watching at this point. Because once again, 28 points on the road at BC. Honestly, one of the better games he's played in his Syracuse career. It's now 64 career games for him. He has been in double figures in 54 of them. In two of those games, he got hurt, including NC State this year, which is the only game he wasn't in double figures this year. And it's dropped his average, which is now up above 19 points a game, by about a full point because he played those three minutes. So he got a zero in the score column there. But we got to talk about what this means going forward for him if this is his last year in Syracuse. I don't know how you feel about the topic, but to me, I do feel like we are witnessing the last four or five games of the Elijah Hughes era, depending on how far they go in the postseason here, but I'm just kind of enjoying what we've seen this year from Hughes, a guy who was basically a hidden gem from ECU, not many people after him, grew up in New York. Jim Beheim got a chance to see him play, and it's led to one of the better players I think we've seen in terms of an individual season at Syracuse. In Definitely a, while. a
1: credit to the coaching staff for going out and finding this guy as a transfer from, from ECU. And, and you, you just look at the way that scouts talk about him. I mean, it's unbelievably polarizing. I talked about it a little bit yesterday, but the, the variance that these scouts talk about him is... Unbelie- I mean, I'm sure it's like this with a number of prospects that are second-round prospects, too. But the thing with me is, and getting back to that Boston College game, that was one of the most, that was the probably the, the shining moment for me of games where you're watching him and you're saying, he looks like a pro. And, and I don't know how many scouts were in the building for that. I know that a number of them were, but that... That performance, I mean, he was just making tough shot. He was making NBA caliber shots over over the, those Boston yeah. College defenders all night long, and I just think that yeah, we, we these are the last handful of games that that we're gonna see out of Elijah Hughes. You'd imagine he'd go, even with whatever's being said about him by scouts, uh, by by Beheim, and and the the thing with, and I don't think Beheim's necessarily deterring. His players from going. At the end of the day, he he's gonna say, "All right, yeah, do do what's best for you." He like would he like Elijah Hughes back? Yeah, obviously he would. It, it's sure. his job, and it makes his job a little bit easier. But it's also he he realizes that this is the way that people are now, and and that's no knock on on any of the guys who have left earlier than maybe we would have thought in the past, but. That like you gotta eventually go out and, and do what's best for you, and if what's best for you is going and, and maybe spending a little time in the G League, it it is what it is. And, and for some of these guys, you just gotta get put in the right situation. I mean, you look at a guy like
0: okay, let's look at O'Shea Brissett. How about Jeremy Grant? Yeah, he's in the great situation well, I, now for a couple. I'm not teams. even saying Syracuse too. Like, I think about a guy sure. like
1: Kai Bowman. From Boston College talk about someone who, who fell into the right situation I mean just the fact that they dealt with all those injuries in Golden State that kind of helped him put his get him out there and, and same thing with Amari Spellman like some of those injuries it got him into the lineup and now they're thriving as members of the Warriors whereas a guy like O'Shea Brissett I was talking with a guy who, who watched one of his games the other day and he was like Brissette can ball, but the problem is there's just no room on that Raptors roster for him to to get a a shot. So, of course he's not going to look like he's putting up any numbers out there with the Raptors because there's just no room on the Raptors roster because it's so far developed at at the big league level. So, there's nothing that O'Shea can do. The only thing that, that can help him... Probably is a change of scenery, and and does he want that? Because he's a Canadian guy, he's from that area. Why would he want to leave? Or or he can kind of ride out the, this developmental period, and, and eventually maybe he does crack it with the the Raptors one day.
0: Yeah, you bring up Battle and Brissette there, and Pete Dammel was at the game. Oh, for was Yahoo he? sports the BC game? Yeah, and There's he asked me question weird. A- national writer yeah. at the the
1: Syracuse BC games like Goodman was there last year Thamel's there this year it's like right and I get maybe there's the Boston think, ties uh, or something but
0: right I think Bob Ryan was there for a little bit I don't think he stayed though maybe he just saw nothing. does that count he, he as Boston royalty
1: league? if Bob Ryan's in the building for our prop shop oh I wow. think that might
0: count we'll have to yeah it might we'll have to dive into that that that's that's up for debate yeah. for sure but Thamel asked Beheim a question basically about Elijah Hughes and the bigger picture of his draft status. And Beheim had some interesting points. He brought up how he got word of a phone call from Tyus Battle's dad and also his thoughts on O'Shea Brissett when they were deciding whether he needed to go to the draft as well.
1: Oh, yeah. I mean, I I anticipate guys going. I don't even plan on guys staying anymore. You know, I planned last year, obviously, Tyus. And ironically his father called me the other day or called Jerry Ray and said maybe he should have stayed in yeah. us <laughs> you know. But I didn't think O'Shea should leave, but I thought he might leave, so we prepared for that. But you don't replace a player like that. You know, if we had him with these young guys, he'd make a
0: difference with our team this year. So originally when I heard that, I thought he was saying battle called him. I think listening back to it, he was actually saying Tyus' dad called Jerry McNamara, and then Jerry told Jim Bayheim, Regardless, Tyus' dad calls one of the members of the coaching staff, we think it's Jerry McNamara, and says, yeah, maybe he should have stayed another year, which obviously hurts for Syracuse fans' perspective because you think about a Hughes this year and a battle in his senior year, how fun that could have been. But that's the nature of every team these days. Right, and again, college athletics
1: they're the great turnstile of of athletic programs and you you just look at what what could have been i mean especially defensively because battle was pretty good at that top of the zone too and that's definitely been the weakness you think about what could have been defensively had brissette or had battle come back and it's just having veterans in there that know the zone too as opposed to you've got guys out out there who, who maybe aren't as comfortable with it and you think, too, I mean, imagine a, a roster where Joe Girard is the one coming off the bench.
0: Yeah, that'd be nice. Like that
1: That's <laughs> the, the level of depth that this team would have had and, and would be playing with this year. A, a starting five where you essentially swap out Girard for Battle, and, and we don't have to get into the whole, would Battle have actually played the one conversation? I think that's a a, a largely irrelevant conversation because he did play it at times yeah. last season and, and played it pretty well. So... I think with, with battle, I mean, it, it's one of those things where he's just kind of in a tough situation out there in, in Minnesota that's not it may not be the right fit for him, but that's the opportunity he was given. so he's of course going to go out he's not going to say no to
0: it. Like the NBA was his dream, so right. he's going to go chase that dream. And you can't fault anyone for doing that. And no. That's why never. I do think Elijah Hughes now is kind of the time for him, because what more can he do? in a single season, in terms of efficiency, stats, workload, everything, to prove that he's worthy of being an NBA guy. And let's not forget, he's also a fourth-year player because he transferred, so the age is so important. He's going to turn 22 here in a couple weeks, and 22 is much more appealing in the second round compared to 23. It might be a little overhyped, but that's what NBA scouts, that's what NBA execs will tell you.
1: Yeah, I'm right there with you on that. I mean... The tread on the tires too, especially in this day and age where you're looking at, at guys who pretty much don't even play every single game. I mean, seeing a guy play 82 games in the NBA is like, whoa, what, what's happening? <laughs> and you you think to to a guy, especially in this era of basketball, where you're you're playing AAU tournaments every single weekend, it seems like, and, and it's just basketball, basketball, basketball. The the tread is on the tires. And for once you get to that 23 and and you've had all that, like, why, why would someone go after an Elijah Hughes if there's maybe some guy who's 21 and possesses a little bit of a similar skill set too? Yeah. So it's, it, it sucks that that's kind of the way, I mean, I was thinking about this the other day too. Kirk Heinrich was drafted, I believe seventh overall by the Chicago Bulls. Four year guard, out of out of Kansas, couldn't beat Syracuse in the national that, title. But carry right, on, right? <laughs> exactly. He would never like that would never happen today. Yeah, no. like like nothing like that could even like think about recent examples of, of someone like that, and, and you think of like, Ryan. Like you think about the Villanova guys that come out lately, like Archie Diacono or uh, J- even Jalen Brunson. Brunson wasn't a senior, but th- that's the type of guy yeah. that that it that it is. Like, those guys didn't even sniff the first round. I mean, I don't even think Archie Diakno was drafted, No. Too. And, and granted, he's carved out a nice little niche for him in the NBA, but, like, Brunson was a second rounder. And, like, you look at these older guys and they just don't pop off the page anymore. Like, like these execs are, are worried about age a lot.
0: I also think it's just there's a lot of people that are going now going into the process because you can sign with an agent come back and that's increasing right and that's the smart thing to do right but it's increasing the number of players that go from that point because if you get some positive feedback and you get into the process and you realize wow this is better than maybe writing a paper in the summer and doing some summer classes you get into it and you think wow this is my dream why don't i just go for it right now and and that's kind of lowering the product to college basketball a little bit because, I mean, this year we've seen so many weird games. We haven't seen a ton of talent at times. And it does feel like it's because a lot of these second-round type of players are leaving early.
1: Right. And, I mean, you look at, I mean, the, even the examples we've brought up today, Kai Bowman yeah. and and Tyus Battle, like those are guys who who would have come back potentially for their senior seasons. and. Would have been really, really good. I mean, would have been all ACC first-teamers in all likelihood. And, I mean, you look at Jordan Wara, I guess that's kind of the the other side of the coin, too, is how much can you improve your draft stock when you're playing to improve your draft stock? It seems like sometimes. I mean, it, it seems like there's certain games where Jordan Wara has one purpose and one purpose— purpose only and it's not to win the basketball game it is i want to look as good as i can in front of nba scouts and ultimately he flops more times than not it seems like i wouldn't say his draft stock has improved this year no i mean I, i and that's a baseless claim other than what i've just seen on the tape but i think he would have been better off going last year than he would have this year
0: yeah and he was one of the few that went into the process and came back. So anyway, I do think yeah, Hughes, and that was kind of surprising. Yeah, I do think Hughes will make a, a very solid pro. I don't know if he'll be anything like Jeremy Grant, but I do think he'll stick around for maybe longer than some of the guys we've seen in recent past. Just because he has that build, it's kind of what you're looking for. He's six seven. he's athletic, and he can shoot. I know scouts are saying that's what he needs to improve. But overall, I do think he's got the potential to be a more successful pro than what Syracuse has had recently. But anyway, we we can talk about it more tomorrow with all the scouting stuff. too. We can dive into that uh, tomorrow on the pod as well as we have to get to those Dior Johnson comments because he tweeted something interesting and we love our guy Dior. We want him to come to Syracuse. So we'll talk about him and we'll preview Miami next. That's coming up tomorrow on the Lockdown Syracuse podcast. For Tyler Rocky. I'm Tim Leonard. Thanks for listening. As always, check us out on Twitter at LO underscore Syracuse and we'll talk to you guys on Friday.